All right. Well, hey, everybody. Great to have you with us today at all of our campuses, because today at all six of our campuses, hundreds of people are going to go public with their faith and be baptized. And you are going to get to witness the power of God to change a person's life in maybe a way that you've never seen before. Having said that, though, baptism is kind of a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, no matter what your church background is, you probably have had some exposure to a baptism. You were either baptized as an infant Some of you went through a confirmation class when you were a kid and you learned a lot about baptism. Some of you slept through a confirmation class as a kid. You don't remember too much about baptism. I was one of those people who didn't grow up going to church. And so I had never even seen a baptism in my life. I wasn't baptized as a baby. I don't think I'd ever even seen a baptism until it was my sophomore year of high school. Our family decided to take a driving vacation out west and God began to stir something in my dad. In fact, we stopped to look around at the Missouri River, and as I was down picking up some rocks to skip, I turned around and my dad had a handful of water that he was trying to throw on my head. But what was funny about this is he never told me what he was doing. So all he did was had this water in his hands, and I'm going, what is going on? Are we having a water fight in the Missouri River? Is this going down right now? And then I noticed that he had some tears in his eyes, and he said, I should have done this a long time ago. And I thought, we should have had a water fight a long time ago? Like, what are you talking about? And I wouldn't let him do it. Now, these days, both my dad and I have put our faith in Christ. We've been baptized after we put our faith in Christ. And so we can kind of laugh at our failed baptism attempt along the Missouri River. Not many people can say they have a failed baptism. Tried to baptize me, didn't happen. That's pretty unique. But maybe you're here today, and that's kind of how you are with baptism. You're thinking, I I don't get it. Why would somebody step into a pool or into a lake and let another person dunk them down underneath the water? I remember coming to church for the first time, and I thought that was super weird. And so maybe you're here, and you've been coming to Eagle Brook for the last three months or so, and there's a little something in the back of your mind that goes, you know, up until now, you guys have been pretty normal. I'm a little surprised by that. I mean, we had this marriage series, this dating series in January. That, that, that was great. But today's the day when you get weird on me, isn't it? Start dunking people underneath the water. So here's what I want to do today. I want to try to demystify baptism for you. Part of the reason that baptism seems so strange to us is because it's a highly symbolic act. Going underneath the water, coming up out of the water, all of it has a deep meaning. In fact, at its very core, baptism is a celebration. It's a celebration that the old life is gone and the new life has come. For Christmas this past year, my parents gave me this new work bag. I wish I could have brought in my old work bag for you. I loved the old bag. I was comfortable with it. I didn't like the idea of switching everything over from that bag into a new one. But the strap was fraying so bad that it kind of looked like a doll's hair. I mean, it was just strings hanging down and you couldn't even really tell where the strap was. And that was just the outside of the bag. On the inside of the bag, I had left some cough drops at the bottom in the bag, which I left in my car in the summer. And so the cough drops melted and formed this like sticky, crusty layer over the bottom of the bag. Then in the wintertime, I had some pennies that froze into the cough drops. And then one time I forgot that I had an avocado in my bag. And so the avocado rotted out and it started to kind of squirt everywhere into the bag. And so I had this layer of sticky cough drops 
covered with some pennies, covered with some slimy avocado that was all over the bag. In fact, one day I was walking into my office and I had the bag kind of down like this. And when I got in the office, there was a huge stain on my pants and an unidentified liquid was dropping off of my pants. And I thought, this is rock bottom. I mean, I love the old bag. I'm comfortable with the old bag, but this is rock bottom. I have got to get a new work bag. And this new one's great. It's got all these little pouches for your pens and things like that. But the problem with this bag is that my oldest son, Micah, was getting into my car recently, and I had this bag sitting in the passenger seat. And so Micah opens up the door and he goes, whose purse is this? I said, it's not a purse. It's a man bag, son. He said, well, it looks like a purse to me. I said, well, it's not. It's a super manly man bag that men wear. Just had to clear that up for him. But I think this bag is a pretty good analogy for how a lot of us are with our old life. We get comfortable with our old life. We kind of like it. We don't really like the idea of switching everything over to a new life. Even though our relationships are fraying, even though there's anger that's rotting in our soul and it's starting to seep out into our marriage, even though there's some stains from our past that we wish that we could wash clean, we think to ourselves, you know, I, I kind of like the old life, or at least I'm really comfortable with it. And it's not until we hit rock bottom. It's not until we hit rock bottom. It's not until we get the DUI that we say, you know, I, I guess I need to go to treatment. It's not until the other person says, I'm leaving you, that we finally go, well, I'll, I'll go see a counselor if that's what you want. It's not until we hit rock bottom, and part of the reason for that is that we get comfortable with our old life. But if we only knew, if we only knew the new life that Jesus Christ offers. I got an email from a woman recently who said, I have four kids from three different men, and I'm not with any of those men today. She can't, said, I can't tell you the number of mistakes and the way that my past sin has affected my life today. She said, not only my life, but my kids are just caught in the middle. I rarely hear from someone humble enough to admit those kinds of things. And as I continue to read on in her email, I could see that she really wants to know Jesus Christ. She wants her kids to know Christ. She was willing to make some sacrifices for her kids. She talked about reading the Bible and praying and that there was a struggle in her life against sin. And so I wrote back to reassure her. I said, there is a God who can wipe clean every decision or mistake that you made in your past. I said, when I was 18 years old, I lied, I stole, I was lustful, I was angry. I said, then when I turned 19, I got down on my knees in a dorm room couch one night and I put my faith in Jesus Christ and that was the beginning of my new life. In fact, a while back I was speaking at a men's retreat and right before I was about to go up and speak, the worship team led us in a song called Amazing Love. And the chorus of that song says, Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? And I remembered singing that song when I was in college and I was a brand new Christian and so I started to reminisce a little bit. And I thought about all that God has done in my life since that time. And I thought about my kids and my wife, but even more than that, I thought about the way that God has changed my character. 
I used to be a person who just would do what other people wanted me to do and was so obsessed with pleasing them. And now I live my life with more conviction and more passion. I thought about the promise that I have of eternal life to spend forever with Jesus. I mean, I could go on and on. And I thought, amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? And he did. He died for you. He died for me. Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless and perfect life. He didn't deserve to die. We did. It was because of our sin that we deserved the penalty of death, which might seem a little bit odd to you. You might think, well, why, why, why do I have to die? Why is there a penalty of death just because I sinned a little bit? But here's what you need to know. God is so good. He is so loving. He is so perfect that he can't just wink at sin. It goes against his character. He is a perfect judge. And so because of our sin, we deserve death. We don't deserve heaven. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, because he so loved us and Jesus came to pay the penalty that our sins deserved. And that's what baptism symbolizes. When you go underneath the water, it symbolizes a death, a death to your old life. It represents the fact that Jesus died and was buried, but he didn't stay buried. He rose again to new life. And so when you are baptized, you are publicly and symbolically identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6 as we continue on in this series that we started last week called The New You. He says, Have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptized to become one with Christ Jesus, that we died with him? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives." Let's break this down for just a moment. He says, you can become one with Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, are you one with him today? Do you love the things that he loves? Do you value the things that God values? Do you have a sense of Jesus' presence in your life on a daily basis? The Bible says that you can be one with him. And then Paul writes this. He says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Now, what in the world does that mean? To understand that, it might be helpful to know what this word baptism refers to. See, when we hear that word today in the 21st century, we kind of think to ourselves, well, you know, baptism, it's a ritual in the church. It's a spiritually significant event in a person's life. But back in the first century, when Paul sat down to write a letter to the church in Rome, and that's what Romans is, it was a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, he would have used the Greek word baptizo, it's obviously where we get the word baptism from. But in the first century, that was a common everyday word. It meant to immerse or to dunk. In fact, in the first century, archaeologists found a pickle recipe that dated from the first century, rather. And it was written by a Greek physician and poet. Because who doesn't want their physician to also be a poet, right? Everybody's a poet back then, apparently. And so in this recipe, he says you need to immerse the vegetables in vinegar. And the word that he uses for immerse is baptizo. It's one of the reasons why we immerse people under the water. Because that's what the word means and that's what the act symbolizes. See, when you go underneath the water, it represents that your old life is gone. It's died and you leave it there in a watery grave. 
Let me ask you, how many of us here today have something from our past that needs to be buried? How many of us have a sin in our life that needs to die? How many of us have a past pain or regret that we wish could be washed away? Only Jesus Christ can do that for you. I mean, you can go see a counselor and and that might help you for a while and, and help you dig into some things. You can drink and that'll help you forget things for a night. But the next day, it'll be right back in your face. Only Jesus Christ can take the most painful regrets from our past and he can bury them. He can give you a new life. Because look at what Paul writes at the very bottom here. He says, now we also may live new lives. New lives right now. A new power to resist sin. A new promise that Jesus is going to be with you on your best days and on your worst days. A new hope that one day you too will resurrect from the dead. And that new hope won't just be wishful thinking. It won't be, yeah, well, when I die, I'll kind of just figure that out. It'll be a rock-solid promise based on a historical event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to do today. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. See, here's the logical truth. If you are one with Christ and he rises from the dead, it makes sense that you are going to rise as well. But if you are not one with Jesus Christ and he rises, then it makes sense that you're not going to rise either. You have to be one with Christ in order to be saved. And so I want to do something today that we normally don't do in the middle of the service. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. Because I believe that God brought some of you to church today to let go of an old life. To bury an old life of pain and sin and regret and to step into the new life that Jesus Christ has for you. And I'm not going to make you come down the aisles or raise your hands or anything. This can be between you and God. But I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer that just acknowledges your sin and puts your faith in Christ. And if you have never done this before in your life, what an opportunity you have to become one with Jesus Christ in this moment. And so at all of our campuses, would you join me? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads for just a moment. And you can pray along with me in the quietness of your mind. God, there are some of us here who need a new life. We need to step from the old life and into the new life that you offer. And so God, right now in this moment, they're just going to pray along with me in the quietness of their mind. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. God, I can feel it. I can feel that there's a distance between us when I'm disobeying you and not living for you. But God, I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. I believe that he paid the penalty that I could never pay. I believe that he died as a substitute in my place. And so right now in this moment, God, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I ask that I can become one with him and that one day I too will rise from the dead. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the new life that you're offering me in Christ, and I believe that it begins today. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, can we celebrate those who just prayed that prayer? The Bible says that what you just did is as dramatic as stepping from death into life. 
And maybe here's a good way of thinking of your baptism. It's kind of like your wedding day. When my wife and I were married, we were married the moment we said, I do. And that's what some of you just did. You said, I do. I do believe in Jesus Christ. I do want to follow him. I do have faith in him. I do. But then after my wife and I said, I do to one another, we gave each other these rings as a symbolic and public demonstration that we had just said, I do. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is a public and symbolic demonstration that you have said, I do, to Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to ask those of you who just prayed that prayer, or those of you who have put your faith in Christ as an adult but have never been baptized before, I want to ask you to consider being baptized today. And I realize that some of you are going, whoa, I didn't come dressed for this, I didn't sign up for it, I didn't plan on it. I've tried to anticipate some of your objections. Here's a few of them. Number one, you might be saying, you know, I was baptized as an infant and my parents or grandparents would be upset at me. Now, I think this is a big one, so let me take a little bit of time here. Parents who baptize their kids as infants have the best of intentions in mind. They want their kids to grow up to know and to love Jesus Christ. And so whenever I'm talking to someone who says, well, my my parents baptized me when I was a baby, I say, well, you should honor your parents for their desire to raise kids who know and love Christ. We do child dedications for the same reason. But having said that, you should also know that there's no place in the Bible where a baby is baptized. In fact, in the New Testament, whenever it's given this command to be baptized, it's also connected to the command to believe first. Look at an example of this with me in Acts chapter 8. It says the people believed Philip's message concerning Jesus Christ, and as a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. Do you notice how belief precedes baptism? And this belief or this faith It's not your parents' faith. It's not your pastor's faith. It's not your priest's faith. It's your faith. Don't bank on an infant baptism as your ticket to heaven. I mean, that would be absolutely tragic. Of course, we want to honor our parents' wishes and gain their approval, but even more than that, we want to honor God's wishes, and we want to have God's approval. And sometimes in life, you just can't have have both, and in that moment... You have to decide, who am I going to please? Second objection that some of you might have is this. You might say, well, what if I slip up and fall into sin after I've been baptized? I talk to more and more people who say, you know, I don't want to get baptized because inevitably I'm going to sin and then somebody's going to come along and go, oh, you hypocrite. You just got baptized at church and now you're acting like that. And so I don't want to deal with that. I was listening to a message by Pastor Kyle Eidelman, and he told this story of a time when he was cleaning out his garage. And it was the winter time, and so some water had seeped in and kind of formed a patch of ice. And he was being very careful to kind of step over the patch of ice. But eventually he forgot about it. And so, of course, he's walking along with a handful of boxes, and all of a sudden, boom. Both feet up in the air with the ceiling as the backdrop. You're not in a good spot if you see your feet and then you see the ceiling. And so it knocked the wind out of him. And as he's lying on the floor, his dog walks in. 
And apparently his dog lives in the garage. They've got a little bed out there for him. They've got a dish for his water and his food. And he said the dog looked at him and it was almost like he was saying, why are you lying on the garage floor? This is where I lie. This is where I live. But what what are you doing here? Now, of course, the difference is that Eidelman didn't want to be lying on the garage floor. He had tried not to slip and fall. It was his great desire not to slip and fall, but he slipped and he fell. But his intention is to get back up again at some point. The dog, on the other hand, he likes lying on the garage floor. This is where he lives. When it comes to your old life, there is a difference between living in sin and slipping and falling. Some of us live in sin. I mean, some people, they just, they live in sin. They'll say, you know what, after church today, I got to go to Target, then I got to go grab some lunch, and then I'm going to go sin. It's just planned out, right? I mean, it's just part of the routine. They, they know they're going to do it. And there's not a lot of conviction there. They don't necessarily feel guilty about that or bothered by that. And that's the old life. No power to resist sin, just do what feels good. The Bible says eventually that life leads to a death. There are others of us here today who would say, you know what, I I slipped and I fell. And I didn't want to slip, I didn't want to fall. And I tried real hard to avoid it and, and it, and it just happened. But I really want to get back up again and live the new life that Christ has for me. Look again what Paul writes in Romans 6. He says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Is there going to be some consequences for your behavior? Absolutely there is. But you're not living in it. You are slipping and falling from time to time, but it's your great desire not to. You want to obey God, and when you struggle or when you slip and fall, you confess it, you receive God's grace and forgiveness. That's the new life. When you're baptized today, you are not saying, I'm gonna be sinless for the next six years. That's not what you're communicating. What you're saying is, I have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for my sin. Don't let sin keep you away from baptism today. A third objection that may be floating in your mind is this, pride. I think this might be one of the biggest ones. I put my faith in Christ at the age of 19. I didn't, become a, didn't get baptized until I was 26. Seven years later. I was actually working at a different church at the time. I was, had baptized other people, but I had never been baptized myself. I actually got embarrassed that when it came time to, for me to get baptized, I went to a different church than the one that I worked at because I thought it would be weird if I was baptizing people and then I'm like, okay, my turn, now you do me, quick. <laughs> now, why did I wait seven years? I don't know. Pride, I guess. After a while, I started to worry what other people would think. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're thinking, you know, if I get baptized today, there's going to be somebody who's going, I can't believe they've never been baptized before. I mean, they serve here at this church, and they've been attending here for long. I mean, that really surprises me. And that's probably the voice they'll use as well when they say that. <laughs> or, or, or you might be thinking, you know, who wants to get up in front of a bunch of people and get wet? I mean, I'm too old for that, or I'm too young and cool for that. As somebody who waited an embarrassingly long time myself, I can relate to all of those. But here's a thought for you. How proud of you would God be 
If today you said, you know what, I'm not going to worry what other people think, I'm going to worry what God thinks. I'm not going to try to please other people, I am going to live my life to please God. I believe that God would be so proud of you for that. Another objection that some of you might have is you might say, you know, I didn't come dressed for it, and, and this is probably the biggest one for many of us, and we've thought of this. If you decide to get baptized today, we're going to hand you a bin like this, and in that bin, we have shorts for you to change into, we have t-shirts, we have boxer shorts, we have women's clothes that I feel a little uncomfortable holding in front of all of you, we have sandals. We have clothes for you to change into. We have security to watch your stuff. And then when you're done being baptized, you can towel off, change back into the clothes that you wore to church today like nothing ever, ever happened. Some of you are saying, you know what, it's not so much the clothes, it's my hair will get wet or my makeup will come off. It's a big deal. We've thought of this as well. We have got hairspray for you. We've got combs. This is a big one. Curl revitalizer for those of you with curls. I know it's very, very important. We've got uh, deodorant and we've got something else in here. I'm not even quite sure what that one is, but we've got everything for you. Final objection that some of you might have is this. I want my family to see. We have professional photographers at every campus who are going to take pictures for you to share with your friends and your family. Thought of everything. So what are you waiting for? Today could be your day to step from the old life into the new, even if you didn't plan on it, even if you didn't sign up for it, even if you didn't become dressed for it. Today could be your day. Before we start the baptisms, I want to show you a story of a member of our worship team who has stepped from the old life into the new. And it's really, really an incredible story. I hope this inspires you. Take a look at the side screens. <laughs> 